Hey there, it's your favorite podcaster coming at you with an amazing discovery. You know how frustrating it can be when you're trying to stream a 4K video only to have it buffer and buffer and buffer some more? Well, let me tell you, I found the solution. I recently upgraded to the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XD5 mesh system and let me tell you, my Wi-Fi has never been better. The setup was super easy and I love the flexible network naming. But what really sets this router apart is the Wi-Fi 6 technology and I can now stream all my favorite shows and movies in the highest quality without any interruptions or buffering. And the best part? The lifelong free AI protection keeps my network secure and my mind at ease. With the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XT5 I get super fast, reliable and secure Wi-Fi connections in every corner of my home. Now I can finally work play and stream without any frustrating interruptions. So if you're ready to take your Wi-Fi game to the next level, head over to asus.click slash zenwifi underscore xd5 or check out the show notes of this episode. Trust me, with Asus Zen Wi-Fi xd5, you'll get the best Wi-Fi experience ever. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. Today I speak about GPT-4 because uh, uh, it is on the news. Um, it's pretty much hyped, uh, in my opinion, as always. Um, and uh, uh, it's uh, always good to uh, put down some thoughts uh, about this new technology that is not so new anymore. Uh, that everybody knows out there for sure, everybody's using, uh, that we cannot deny. Um, and for some aspect, it's actually a very useful tool. I personally use it for uh, some of my uh, daily activities when it comes to correcting my English or, or writing the first uh, drafts of something, sometimes just a few paragraphs. So for the few ones who still don't know what GPT-4 is, uh, well, it's in fact a transformer style model uh, that is pre-trained to predict the next word in a, in a document, it's usually called the token. And uh, um, it has been trained on uh, uh, what they say publicly available data usually uh, relate, uh, referred to as internet data um, and data that are also uh, that have been also licensed by uh, third party providers. So we are not supposed to find private data in the in the training set of this model or this family of models. Um, and it's the essentially the next evolution uh, from GPT-3, uh, which is probably what we are currently, you know, many of us are currently using now uh, as it is uh, freely available uh, on the OpenAI website. Uh, ChatGPT-4 is in fact available to those who pay. <laughs> it's time for them to monetize after all. Uh, but uh, what the models GPT-3 and 4 uh, are doing is, in fact, uh, they, are, they get fine-tuned with um, so-called reinforcement learning from human feedback, uh, RLHF, that's the acronym. Uh, we have discussed this in uh, previous episodes, what exactly it is about. Uh, and uh, I already said that it's something that, uh, you know, is the key differentiator uh, between uh, GPT-2, for example, and GPT-3, well, 3.5, in fact. Uh, that's the key differentiator because reinforcement learning from human feedback was not uh, available before. It has been introduced in the three, uh, GPT-3 version only. And of course, GPT-4 is uh, experiencing the same technology, uh, just with uh, 
an order of magnitude the number of parameters uh, uh, more than GPT-3. Now, this number has not been disclosed, um, but uh, there are speculations that is around the trillion parameters, uh, which is a number that we cannot even you know, imagine. <laughs> and uh, in addition to the number of parameters, which is incredibly higher than, uh, than GPT-3, uh, there, there are speculations about the quality of the data uh, and, of course, the amount of the data, uh, of the training data uh, that are obviously critical uh, to the quality of any artificial intelligence system. Now, there are some rumors about 100 trillion parameters. I, I, of course, we have no way to verify this except, uh, you know, believing the rumors or, you know, believing what probably OpenAI is publishing, which is not much in, in, in numbers of parameters. Uh, but this 100 trillion uh, rumor has been denied by uh, OpenAI CEO. Now, regardless, you know, 1 trillion or 100 trillion is still numbers that we cannot conceive. So um, the key differentiator here is uh, indeed, um, you know, f moving from about 170 billion parameters of GPT-3 to the trillion uh, order uh, of magnitude. And, uh, you know, that's uh, already impressive. You know, that's the key differentiator in my opinion. Now, if there are one or two trillions, probably it's not going to make a difference. But making that jump from the billion to the trillion, that's uh, the difference, uh, in my opinion. Now, uh, of course, more parameters um, are usually associated with uh, uh, better predictions uh, and, of course, increased human-like text. Um, so these answers that you will find from GPT-4 apparently might be, uh, let's say, more realistic or more uh, reliable, uh, if you can say that. Uh, but pay attention because we're going to cover uh, the reliability of GPT-4 in this episode. So uh, hold your horses. <laughs> um, I think that another differentiator is the context. Uh, so the, um, the size of the context that we can uh, give to GPT-4. Uh, currently uh, set at about 25,000 words. Uh, that is also a key difference from the predecessor GPT-3. Uh, which could uh, accept um, approximately mm, 1,500 to 2,000 words. So even there, we have a jump uh, in the order of magnitude, um, you know, from 2,000 to 20,000. Uh, that's also a big, a big jump, a big improvement. And uh, I would say that um, more than the number of parameters, uh, I believe that the size of the context is uh, much more um, let's say, important to increase uh, performance and to get, uh, of course, uh, better answers, uh, not just the number of parameters. In fact, I speculate that the number of parameters could be uh, reduced dramatically, uh, but uh, we would not, you know, and by retraining the model, we would not, um, you know, feel sensible difference. But if we reduce the context in the size of the context, well, the impact would, could be felt almost instantly. Uh, that, of course, something that I speculate. It's not something that I've tried myself. So uh, keep take my words with a grain of salt. Now, uh, how do we use uh, ChatGPT4? Um, well, pretty much for the same tasks that we were using uh, GPT-3. Um, language translation, uh, question answering, uh, text summarization, 
um, uh, writing news um, by describing a scenario, a situation, and getting the news or the headlines in a particular uh, style. Uh, even creative writing, uh, you know, act as uh, Hemingway and write about what I did uh, last weekend <laughs> are the type of uh, tasks that people usually play with these days. Um, myself included, I have to be honest, it's fun <laughs> and uh, act as Shakespeare and, uh, and write something that is uh, very modern or write something very old, uh, uh, very, you know, yeah, antique, uh, acting as, I don't know, Eminem. <laughs> uh, you know, this kind of mix and match uh, that is always fun to do just to, you know, test the capabilities of uh, of this model. But uh, there is one, you know, if we go back to being serious now and uh, make an evaluation of this model uh, that is hitting the news, that's for sure, uh, every day. Uh, and also expectedly, um, you know, it's that there is a an additional feature, let's say, that uh, OpenAI has added to the mix, which is so-called multimodality. Uh, and this is something that um, it plays a very uh, interesting role, um, as interesting as um, the reinforcement learning human feedback uh, feature with GPT-3. So they now introduce the multimodal mod uh, model uh, that is the capability of uh, essentially training chat GPT uh, not only with textual input, but also with images um, as input. And so, um, you know, the capability of uh, prompting the model with images and uh, text and receiving as output uh, not only text, but also images is something that is uh, novel uh, with respect to GPT-3, of course, but is novel uh, with respect to deep learning in general, because uh, this is called multimodality or multimodal models. That is, models that can process different types of, uh, of data. Um, now, the fact that the same information can be encoded uh, within different media uh, or different formats, a textual format and a, a media format, like an image or sound or a video or whatever, uh, you know, that enforces um, the, cap reinforces the capability of a model, of any model, because there is this, um, you know, you provide model uh, different ways and different uh, data formats to represent the same information, uh, which is something that, uh, you know, is extremely powerful, can be extremely powerful. Uh, because models of this caliber with this amount of parameters can start, um, you know, finding analogies um, and similarities across uh, data formats or across data types. Uh, so you apply essentially the concept of similarity or semantic similarity, not just to text or from text to text, as we were used to, uh, for example, find me a paragraph that uh, explains this concept. So you find a semantic similarity of two textual paragraphs or paragraphs of text. But now what one can say is, uh, well, I need the image equivalent or the, the image semantically equivalent concept uh, uh, with respect to this piece of text. Um, so that's, that's powerful. Um, now, the fact that uh, the capability of GPT-4 um, in receiving input, uh, images as input, um, this allows, of course, more dynamic interactions. 
uh, though it's not yet, uh, best of my knowledge, uh, available to the public. Uh, so it's available only via an API for developers. Uh, but currently, this is still, you know, it's yet not possible to um, give uh, images as input. Probably this will change in the next few days. Uh, probably by the time this episode will be uh, aired, uh, this situation will change. That, of course, I cannot guarantee. There are some graphs that I would like to, um, of course, show is impossible. Uh, <laughs> I'm not GPT-4. I cannot make images out of a podcast. <laughs> but definitely what I would like to discuss is some of the, um, let's say, benchmarks that uh, have been reported on the technical report of OpenAI themselves, uh, which, in my opinion, is something that deserves our attention. Uh, so from the OpenAI technical report, um, there they claim that despite its capabilities, which are extremely powerful, that's for sure, but GPT-4 has... Uh, the same limitations to the earlier versions uh, of the GPT models that we know, uh, in the sense that it's still not fully reliable, okay? So it can still hallucinate. Uh, that's pretty much what they say. Uh, and indeed, that's the case. You know, uh, we can sometimes these models flip out completely and they start generating something that is completely uh, an hallucination with respect to what was the prompt uh, for that particular uh, for that particular conversation. And now let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. So some benchmarks have been conducted, of course, and um, um, OpenAI has measured some some metrics um, assessing the capabilities of GPT-4 um, on simulating exams that were designed for humans. Uh, and so, you know, these academic exams or exams, you know, college exams, uh, these are essentially exam questions uh, with, for example, multiple choice uh, as well as free response questions. And uh, they designed uh, these you know, tests for uh, GPT-4 and to see how uh, a, a model of this caliber would uh, perform uh, you know, with respect to humans. Um, now, in my opinion, this is, of course, you know, this is something that they had to do because... Um, Having a test that is an exam, you know, designed for humans means that we can, in fact, compare apples with apples uh, in the sense that we are, you know, trying to evaluate an artificial intelligence uh, within the terms of, of, you know, human metrics. Because, you know, when we say how uh, prepared a particular student is, uh, which is not how smart or how intelligent a particular user is. It's just how prepared, if they studied or not. So you go to university, you make an exam, and you pass it or fail, or, or you pass with a, a certain grade. Right? So that gives you an idea of how prepared 
a certain student is. And so uh, what they wanted to measure is, is exactly the same, how prepared uh, GPT-4 uh, was uh, you know, doing an exam that is usually done by uh, or designed for uh, human beings. And in my opinion, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it, it's a bit misleading. That's how I found it. Uh, because, you know, what if a human's, uh, what, what if a human, you know, does an exam with the entire internet at her disposal? Uh, and maybe the most powerful search engine they can get. So, uh, you know, this is a, we have to take these results with a grain of salt again, because the evaluation is, uh, is, is pretty, is unfair, uh, if I can say that. So, uh, ChatGPT has been trained on the entire internet and then it has been asked to pass an exam, um, which is the equivalent of uh, giving a human being um, a search engine and the entire internet during the, during the test, uh, which is clearly not the case. You know, I mean, at least I remember that when I um, went to university, we didn't have, we couldn't, well, in fact, we didn't have phones. We did, but we couldn't use them. And uh, we definitely could not stay online, or we could not go with you know additional material than uh, than whatever the professor was giving us during the exam. Um, now, with this um, in mind, uh, there are um, some exam results that are worth mentioning. For example, uh, where uh, GPT three and uh, and four definitely perform at their best is on uh, subjects like environmental science, art history, psychology, um, US history, world history, uh, a bit less. Um, and uh, where they kind of suck is on uh, uh, English language, uh, uniform bar exam, um, physics two, macroeconomics and statistics. Uh, they kind of, you know, at least chat GPT-3 was not that good. Uh, definitely GPT-4, uh, improves on many of these subjects where GPT-3 was lacking behind, was lagging behind. But on the ones that uh, uh, GPT-3 already performed well, uh, GPT-4 didn't really add that much. So we are speaking about 80% uh, accuracy on these tests. Um, and, uh, well, the estimated percentile is not an accuracy, it's a percentile. Um, so the performance was already pretty high for GPT-3.5, and it stays high uh, or slightly higher for GPT-4. The big change was on subjects where GPT-3 was really terrible, uh, let's say below 30% uh, estimated percentile, and GPT-4 increased that um, even sometimes even above 80. Uh, so that's, that's a big step. Another important improvement is related to uh, factual evaluation by category. Uh, so, uh, performance of GPT-4 on uh, nine internal adversarially designed factuality evaluations uh, has improved quite a lot with respect to the predecessor, uh, GPT-3. Of course, on learning and technology and writing, uh, GPT-3 was performing around 40-50%, and GPT-4 can uh, uh, touch the 80% or even go uh, above it with history. And it stays pretty much there, like uh, around the 80% or slightly less, while the predecessor was uh, around 50%. So it's a, uh, it's a big step, it's a big improvement. And uh, the, um, 
probably the reason why this internal factual variation by category has improved dramatically is probably because of a larger context. Uh, and so GPT-4 can, in, in fact, um, detect adversarially designed uh, factuality facts because of the bigger context. And so the capability of spotting uh, some, you know, inconsistency in the, in the input or in the prompt. With this said, you know, 80% is very good. Uh, sometimes it's about 75, but it doesn't change the, the speculation. You know, it still can go wrong. Okay, so this means that, and, and again, this is written, we have to be fair here, uh, this is written in the technical report of uh, OpenAI themselves. Um, they still claim, hey, watch out with this thing because can still go wrong, okay? So don't take this as the, the oracle uh, for all your work, especially if your work is, uh, for example, a critical work. Uh, think about medicine, law, uh, you're going to court with <laughs> a factuality evaluation that is probably completely wrong, uh, but it's credible. Uh, or you are assessing a, let's say, a, a patient journey uh, with medications using GPT, GPT's knowledge, uh, again, with some inconsistencies that are just credible and you don't see them because they're credible. And this is something we can we can discuss. In fact, uh, about uh, all the family of GPT models, that's why they are cool. It's because sometimes they can be completely wrong. I would say confidently wrong in their predictions. So you know this can be psychologically misleading, um, and we humans are pretty much affected by these uh, limitations uh, in our mind. Um, you know, it's a psychological limitation. The fact that uh, you know, some model or even a, another human is telling you something with confidence, uh, whatever he or she is saying can be completely wrong. But the fact that they are telling that with confidence make you believe it's right. Okay. This happens all the time with humans. Um, and, you know, manipulation techniques are, uh, I'm not saying a science, but they are a psychological thing. Uh, many politicians do that. I mean, let's not forget the, the, the fact that they go into talk shows and present their, uh, their, their statements as, as truth, as, as real numbers, as statistics many times. And then, you know, some other times they get disproved even live. Um, but, you know, for a, for a tiny second, uh, any listener would believe what that particular person is saying. It can be a politician, it can be a doctor, it can be anyone. Uh, now, if it is a model, uh, that doesn't really change because we are educating ourselves and we are getting, you know, more and more familiar with the fact that whatever we see uh, written on, on, on screen uh, as if someone is chatting to us um, should be true. And, you know, the fact that this massive model is massive and it has been trained on the whole Internet um, and there are hundreds of people behind it, well, it makes us believe that it, this model must be true. Um, so that's what I mean by being confidently wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a psychological threat that we have as human beings, and we have to pay very much attention to that. Now, there is another uh, graph uh, that, of course, uh, we cannot show visually, but I'll do my best to describe it, is um, accuracy on adversarial questions. And um, adversarial questions are questions that are designed 
to fool the model, right? So in these cases, uh, there have been uh, three different ways to, let's say, measure the performance of GPT-4 uh, on adversarial questions. Uh, one is uh, zero-shot, uh, the second is multi-shot, five-shot in fact, and another one is using reinforcement learning with human feedback. Uh, and uh, if you have the graph in front of you, you would see that zero-shot about 30% or less accuracy, uh, five-shot goes a bit slightly above 35%, and the reinforcement learning with human feedback goes uh, around 60%. So there is a, again, double the accuracy from zero shot to reinforcement learning. So, uh, you know, this means that manual tuning with reinforcement learning dramatically improves on adversarial questions from 35 to 60%. That's, that's a big step, okay? That's a big improvement. Um, now, what does this mean? It means that uh, there is a lot of human intervention that is actually paying uh, in, the, in the long term or in the short term. Um, don't forget that uh, ChatGPT has been um, tuned by experts in different fields. Um, there are tens and tens of, of people, probably hundreds of people, involved in uh, uh, tweaking and tuning the model uh, with human feedback. Um, don't believe that this is a fully automated thing, that this is an artificial intelligence as they want us to believe that, you know, we can build artificial neurons and boom, we have uh, a sentient uh, uh, model or, or tool, uh, I don't know, like one of the sci-fi movies back in the days. But this is a, a meticulous project in which a lot of human intervention and a lot of humans are involved to build uh, or to give you the feeling that this is a complex thing uh, and it is, uh, it is working. Um, so to summarize, I mean, uh, these are my ideas, these are my thoughts on GPT-4. Um, honestly, I'm not impressed as always. Uh, I'm, I've never been impressed by these models for different reasons. Um, I do believe that there is some kind of, uh, you know, showdown <laughs> is going on uh, in the sense that the, the race of GPT seems, you know, in, indeed like a showdown, like, like uh, uh, those who will want this race are those who can, first of all, have access to most of the data uh, and also have most powerful hardware infrastructure and uh, I would say virtually unlimited budgets because you know, these are models that cost millions of dollars to, to train and to tune. You need, you need entire teams only for the reinforcement learning with human feedback part. Uh, plus, you need extremely powerful uh, computer clusters. Um, plus, you need tons of data. Mm, and you need to store this data somewhere. So, you know, this is a very expensive exercise. Uh, and I have the feeling that, um, you know, we're just throwing money, or they are throwing money to a problem that should be solved, probably could be solved with, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a smarter way than just showing down and, and uh, throwing money to the problem. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, I expect and I, I definitely hope that um, the better models come when we find a 
smarter way of uh, let's say educating these models or, or training these models um, without uh, this amount of money and uh, hardware and uh, data and time um, you know I think we are taking the 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 easy path to something that looks like AGI but it's definitely not other than that as I said last time uh, this is a useful tool as long as they can um, keep providing it uh, with uh, you know in a sustainable way it costs about twenty dollars per month or a bit more I don't remember um, is it worth it um, I don't know I would not spend this money for having a summary of the internet um, a summary of what Google can give me plus some hallucinations sometimes uh, I think I'll stick to Google for a while um, other than that, uh, yes, uh, sometimes it's helpful. Is it a smart tool? No, it's not. Is it uh, a tool that has knowledge in, you know, in the way humans think of knowledge? No, it doesn't know anything. It just uh, uses algebra, linear algebra to, to assess things and to generate stuff that looks smart or looks intelligent. And so we have to consider that whenever we see our answers and uh, and we feel amazed by this automated tool. After all, you know, uh, what this model is actually doing is just guessing the next word given a context. Uh, don't forget that. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.